Well, hey, Bible Love listeners, welcome back. Um, this just popped up in front of me, and maybe that's God's way of telling me I need to pray or we need to pray. Um, this uh, um, little magnet, if you can see, it's called For the Poor and the Neglected, and it's a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. So the Lord be with you. So with you. So with you. Almighty and most merciful God, we remember before you all poor and neglected persons whom it would be easy for us to forget the homeless and the destitute, the old and the sick, and all who have none to care for them. Help us to heal those who are broken in body or spirit and to turn their sorrow into joy. Grant this, Father, for the love of your Son, who for our sake became poor, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So we are kicking off a new book of the Bible. We're doing something new. It's a new semester. My boys are back in school and, and all that means. And so we are going to spend this whole semester looking at 150 chapters of a book, including one that's got like 300 verses in it. I don't know. That's a lot of chapters, Alan. Yeah. How many weeks are we going to spend on Psalm 119? <laughs> no, we are. We're tackling the Psalms. And every book we've done so far has been a couple of weeks. This one, we're going to give a couple of months. And so from now until we break for the summer, we're going to look at the Psalms. But as we do each time, we wanted to bring in Dr. Tony to help us see the bigger picture, because this is a a different book. Um, And so he'll help us parse through kind of what the Psalms look like and what we have to look forward to. So as always, Tony, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I, I look forward to this. This is one of my favorite avocations. So thank you for having me back. So what do we need to know about the Psalms? Well, you you cannot overstate the importance of the Psalms. It is the longest book in the Hebrew Bible and, and the Christian Bible. It is the Bible that was written, edited, and collected over the longest period of time. A lot of people spent 600 years putting the book of Psalms into the form we have it, that gives you an idea of its continuing importance in the faith community, that they kept working on it, kept adding to it. As Alan mentioned, it includes the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Um, And it is the book of the Old Testament that is most often quoted in the New Testament. So the early church recognized its value for their formation and for their worship. I think that, you know, why why was the book ultimately put in the form we have it? I think it was to the Hebrew people what the book of common prayer is to you guys. It was it was really intended to be used in worship, especially in the second temple. We talked about how uh, after Solomon's temple was destroyed uh, after the people came back from Ezra around 550, I mean, uh, from exile under Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. They rebuilt the temple around 515. And so by then, 
they had gotten really serious about the liturgical or hymnic elements of worship. And I think that has a, the Psalms and temple had a lot of influence over each other. The way the Psalms were put together influenced worship and the way they did worship in the temple influenced how they collected the Psalms. And that's a lovely, you know, kind of lovely relationship. Tony, before you keep going, I wanted to say for, and I mentioned this before, but for all the Episcopalians out there, I think this is something important um, in the Book of Common Prayer, which Tony referenced. It's the only book of the Bible that its entirety is in the Book of Common Prayer. Okay. And it's the only book of the Bible that every Sunday, almost every Sunday, except for the times that we might do a canical or something, we read from the Psalms. Right. Or we sing from the songs. It's chanted a lot. It's sung a lot. Um, and I, I, I think that's just important. For, and, and I'm sure there's other denominations that do that as well. I just don't know that as well as I know my own denomination. The importance we put to the Psalms, because it is always about Jesus. But there's no there's no book of the Bible in the New Testament that's its entirety is in the Ulta, is in the book is in the Book of Common Prayer. Does that make sense? So. Yeah. I think we put a lot of of worth into the Psalms, and I think that's important to say. It always has been and continues to be very important for worship, for Judeo-Christian worship. The Psalms are part of the writings. You know, the, the Old Testament has three parts, law, prophet, writings. The Psalms are part of the writings. And we really have, remember our last book, the book of Job, gave us our first deep dive into Hebrew poetry, Well, now we have a book that is comprised entirely of Hebrew poetry. You think about poetry in English. I think we mostly think about rhyme and meter. Those are the things that define um, rhyme not as much in modern poetry, but classically rhyme and meter. In Hebrew poetry, the defining characteristic is parallelism. What is the relationship between this line and the line that comes right after it? And in broad terms, As you work through the Psalms, you're going to find three main types of parallelism. There is what biblical scholars call synonymous parallelism. A synonym is a word that means the same thing as another word. So in synonymous parallelism, the second line restates the first line in in different language. And by the way, I've put examples of these in the handout that Alan's going to attach to the show. Uh, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Among the dead, lie in the grave. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. The second big category is antithetical parallelism. So the second line is the antithesis or the converse of the first line. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So those are antitheses. This is what's going to happen for the righteous. This is what's going to happen for the wicked. And then finally, the broadest category, the most loosely defined category, is synthetic parallelism in which the second line in some way builds on the first. As for me, I walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be gracious to me. So the psalmist starts with, this is how I live. That's the cause, and his prayer is that the result will be God's blessing and God's redemption. So you're going to see 
But those things over and over and over uh, as you walk through the Psalms. The, the Psalms, there are so many of them. It's such a large book. Uh, it's challenging to um, s- summarize, you know, what, what do the Psalms say? That's, you could answer that a lot of ways. But I did want to try to offer a little bit of a summary. And as I think about the Psalms, the two things that always help me is what do the Psalms say about God, who God is? And then what do the Psalms say about humanity? What does it mean to be human? So there's theology and there's anthropology. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Not surprisingly, in the Psalms, God is sovereign. God is almighty. Uh, the, the, Psalm, the Psalms influence and are influenced by the two great theological strands of Hebrew Bible, the sovereignty of God, the righteousness of God. We're going to see those two things in the Psalms. But the psalmists say there are at least three really important ways that God's sovereignty shows up. One is in creation. We saw this in the, the speeches in Job, the Yahweh speeches, mm-hmm. as God talked about the wonder of creation. That points to the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God shows up in history. Some of the Psalms give us really wonderful summaries of the history of the world or the history of Israel. And the psalmist say over and over, you see God's hand in all of that. God is the one who set history in motion, and God continues to be concerned about human history. And then finally, of course, these psalmists are going to say God's sovereignty is is seen in the covenant, that God has chosen Israel to be a special people to both experience God's redemption, but then also be a light to the nations. So number one, God is sovereign. Number two, God is righteous. God is holy. Along with God's sovereignty, God's holiness more than anything else defines who God is. And God's righteousness is the measuring stick by which everything, including human beings, human life, human effort, is to be measured. Third, God is just. Like the book of Job, the psalmist will talk about things that don't seem to be fair. But as an expression of faith, the psalmist says, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like life is fair or God is fair, the justice of God, the goodness of God can be trusted. So that is on the one hand, an assertion about God, but it's also an invitation to faith. Okay, so um, can I stop you and ask you a question right there, Tony? Yeah. So, so often, just like on a pastoral side, um, and I'm sure the two of you have experienced this many times, you know, and we've talked about this before too, you know, someone will come to you and say, you know, I'm so upset with God. You know, we've talked about this a lot. But one of the things I always say is, it's okay, read the Psalms. <laughs> like, there's some people that are pretty upset with God in the Psalms, you know, and the, and I think that goes right to where you're talking about at that third point of God's just, God's faith, God's, you know, being right there with us. Um, because I don't know how it is in other denominations, and maybe it's not this way in other Episcopal churches, but sometimes, I mean, I love the liturgy and I'm so grateful for it. But sometimes it does feel like 
wrote when we're we're singing or we're we're reading the song we're we're just reading something and and it's not to like my hope is that people will take their bulletin home with them and like really read through what the psalm is saying i mean this is some really hard stuff it's can be hard um i don't know if that's a question but i think that's kind of where we sometimes land with the psalms your point mary balfour easily the largest category of psalms are the psalms of lament. Yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And y'all will get to explore both the legitimacy of asking that question and maybe some different ways that question gets answered in the psalms. But you're, you're right on target about that. Well, sovereignty, holiness, justice, and then God is loving. Kessid in the Old Testament is the counterpart to agape in the New Testament. It's usually translated steadfast love, faithful love, covenant love. But how many times do we hear from the Psalms, the steadfast love of God endures forever? Yeah. And and so then the last thing I would say is the Psalms portray God as someone who hears and answers prayer. Uh, It only makes sense that if God is the author of history, the creator of humanity and loves humanity, God is going to listen to our prayers. That's not to say we always get the answer we want, but the Psalms by their very existence, they're mostly prayers. Hear my prayer, O Lord, incline your ear unto me. You don't keep saying that if you don't think God is listening, right? So that's a pretty good and pretty solid, very Hebrew understanding of God. And then the Psalms say some things about what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the one hand, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. What is humanity that you are mindful of us? You've made us just a little lower than the angels. Um, There's this really lofty, anthropology in the Psalms. And then on the other hand, the Psalms say human beings are broken. We are characterized by sin. No matter how hard we try, we cannot overcome that on our own. The only hope for us to be redeemed is God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Wash away my iniquity because I can't do it on my own. And and those are two very different characteristics of human being, but don't they ring true? Mm -hmm. We know how special we are in the eyes of God, and yet we know that we are not sufficient unto ourselves. So that's very helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. Certainly, the book of Psalms says there is a better way to live and a not as good way to live. In fact, psalmists would probably say there's a right way and a wrong way. They'd be pretty hard and fast about it. Um, and the right way to live is to know God, to trust God, to worship God, to be faithful to God, to obey God. How can our life have the meaning and purpose that it was intended to have if we are not intimately connected to the one who gave us life? How can creation, including human beings, fulfill its purpose apart from the will, the guidance, the blessing of the creator. 
And so that is, that I mean, is all. Say that one more time. The, the, say that is just, say that one more time. How, how can creation, including humanity, fulfill its purpose apart from the will, the blessing, the constant interaction with the creator? Uh, that, that, that's the way we're supposed to live. And then uh, there's one category of psalms called the wisdom psalms. Uh, that really sound the theme we've heard quite a bit, that if you will be faithful, you'll be blessed for doing that. Blessed is the person who lives a life of integrity. Blessed is the person who walks faithfully before God. And we have said in our journey through the Bible that that reward and retribution theology doesn't ultimately hold up. But, But like many things, there is this kernel of truth that a life lived in obedience to God is better. Maybe not because you get riches poured out on you, mm-hmm. but, but a life lived in obedience to God is better than a life lived apart from God. Of course. So I, I think that's a pretty good summary of what the Psalms teach us. So let me stop right there and let you guys talk about what you want to talk about. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for like your organization I mean, it's not your organization, but it's helpful to understand sort of the organization of how the Psalms work. That's the first thing that kind of hit me. Um, and then again, the importance of it. Um, and I don't want to dismiss the other books of the Bible. They're, they're all really important, but I mean, there's 150 of these. Like, <laughs> that feels like it stands out a little bit more. And what did y'all say? Psalm 119 had how many? Verses? 176 verses. I mean, that's a lot of verses, you know? So I think about for five me, pages in my Bible. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like today feels like just understanding the importance of, of this particular book and, and what we need. I, I did want to say the last um, Psalm 150, which is the very last one. The very, it's only six verses, but the very last verse, the sixth verse, this is how the psalm ends. And I don't know. It just somehow is kind of like, felt like it needed to be repeated. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I mean, in that, what you were talking about, like those ups and downs and the way that the prose and the poetry and like how it's all designed, like, even in the end, it kind of reminded me of what Alan was talking about last week when the Pope died. And like the last thing that came out of his mouth was, Lord, I love you. Like that's sort of how I, I don't know. It's just this beautiful ending. It, it, it really is. Um, I glossed over Mary Balfour, but the Psalms are collected into five sections or five books, almost certainly an imitation of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. And so the editors made sure that in each of those five sections, they ended with a Psalm of praise. They ended with a doxology. So not just at the very end of the book, but at the end of each section, praise gets the last word. Well, you and know, I, really I need like that. that. Well, you know I need that. Half half glass full person over here needs the yeah. praise at the end. All right, Alan, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm curious. You know, you talked about the the parallelism and, and we for Episcopalians listening, 
when we chant the psalm, it's pretty obvious that there's a two part to every line that we do, right? There's an asterisk that that divides it. And so that gives some context as we're going through and you wonder why it's set off in these couplets. For you as a Baptist, Tony, how are the psalms present in y'all's worship life, liturgical life? Mm. Is there a routine? They are very present, Alan. Um, we we are, for Baptists in particular, we are what my memo would call high church. Um, we follow the liturgical calendar, and um, it has become very common in, especially among the new crop, I'm part of the old crop of Baptist ministers, but especially many of the young ministers that are coming along in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the denomination I'm part of, they are also lectionary preachers. They follow the Revised Common Lectionary. And I don't always preach from the lectionary, but most Sundays in our church, there are two or three readings, and I would say half the time, one of them is the Psalms. So not every week, but more than, certainly more than any other book, Maybe even more, there. yeah, more than any other category, because any experience that you have ever had, any experience anybody you love has ever had, you can find in the Psalms. Yeah. So, so on the one hand, praise gets the last word, but the largest category of Psalms are the Psalms of lament. Yeah. Um, I will never forget the first parish I ever served is a very small little parish. And there was a member of the church there that was just, their life was just not great. And it was a mess and, you know, really upset with God. And, and I can't believe I said this to him, but I was like, maybe you don't need to come to church for a couple of weeks and you need to like read the Psalms, sit at home and read the Psalms. And they actually did it. They listened to me. And I think it like brought a whole new perspective to community and church and like, just like laying it down for a minute and seeing that God's okay with, with whatever we got to bring to God's feet, you know, um, not God's literal feet, but you know what I mean? And, and I think that, I think that's just like sort of important sometimes for people to get when they get caught up in whatever's going on in their lives, which is perfectly normal. And what we do, um, I don't know if I would tell somebody not to come to church now, but that was like in my naivety a first night hadn't even been ordained very long, but, but it worked for that person. And sometimes you just have to like give it to God and that's what it needs to be. You know? And I think Mary Balfour pastorally, you know, I've spent 40 years trying to help people in painful moments. And when they read the Psalms, the psalmist sometimes gives voice to what they are feeling but didn't know how to put into words. That's one thing. And then let me mention, because, again, in terms of Christian discipleship or, or thinking pastorally, there's a special category of the psalms of lament called imprecatory psalms. That's the new, that's our big word for today. An imprecation is pronouncing a curse on someone. May you be cursed. And strikingly, in one of the Psalms, the psalmist says, I want God to take the babies of my enemies and dash their heads against the rocks. Yep. That well, was in our lectionary a couple weeks ago. It was, and we sang uh, it. We chanted it here at <laughs> Church of the Resurrection. Yeah. Well, kudos to you guys for your courage. I don't think I've ever worked that into a worship service. 
But I'm going to say this because I think it's really important. On the one hand, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have all been wounded by someone so badly that at least for a fleeting moment, we have wished for disaster to fall upon them in their house. Absolutely. And, and, and so that this is part of the human experience. The Psalm, the Psalms give us the full range of human experience. But the other thing that I think we really learn from this anticipates Jesus. Notice the difference between saying, God, I wish you would do this to my enemy and my going out and doing that to my enemy myself. That is a huge difference. So what is the implied theology there? As hurt as I am, as angry as I am, God can be trusted to do what needs to be done. I can express how hurt I am. I can express how angry I am. But then I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. How much better would our world be if all of us managed our anger by naming it, shouting it if we needed to, but then leaving it in the hands of God? And not taking it back on again, right? And getting, yeah, like, so true. I can't tell you, like, how many conversations I've had with that. Oh, there's our timer um, that I've had with that. Like Before we stop, Tony, I want to ask, do you have a favorite song? Ah. Um, that's hard, Alan. I have preached through Psalm 23. I, I wrote 10 sermons about the 23rd Psalm. So I love that. I think it is the thing that is, is most comforting to people in the time of, of death. I, I think I do the 23rd Psalm at every single funeral at some point <laughs> in the funeral. Um, but I and love King those. James Version, right? Like that. There's something about no, the King James. No, Version. I don't do King James. Sorry, I don't. I don't Me know too. anybody that speaks Elizabethan sir. English. Um, but I will also say, Alan, uh, I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Psalm 121. That's a pretty good one too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as always, Tony, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I just threatened to get Tony back on here, like in the middle of the Psalms, if we're like, oh, we need Tony again. And of course he said yes. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Um, as always, listeners, we love you, but most importantly, God does.